sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Grammar Girl here. Today's episode is about swearing. Swearing has been in the news a lot lately, especially since a U.S. Court of Appeals struck down the long-standing FCC ban on vulgar language on radio and network television. Listener Michael Oberdacker wonders what makes a word vulgar. He wrote in an email, quote, Who decides that? I mean, it's just a word like any other. Who has the authority to say it's not polite to say it in public or polite company? End quote. Strange as it may seem, as speakers of any language intuitively know, a swear word is not just a word like any other. People who suffer loss of speech because of damage to the language processing part of their brain often retain the ability to curse, for example, because swear words are processed in the brain's limbic system, the area responsible for emotions. Experiments have shown that hearing or reading dirty words affects people emotionally as indicated by an increase in their galvanic skin response. Obscenity or profanity truly does have the power to shock people at an emotional level. So what gives swearing this power? In short, it's society's taboos. Taboo, in this sense, covers not just the forbidden, but any domain of activity or social interaction where social norms regulate behavior. Whatever a society deems taboo, is a wellspring of words deemed obscene or profane, as well as euphemisms for those words. Taboos vary over time, and as they change, so do the words that are considered socially unacceptable. Several hundred years ago, the strongest taboos among English speakers were religious in nature. During Shakespeare's time, expressions like zounds were considered vulgar because they were shortened versions of, in this case, God's wounds. If you wonder why saying God's wounds would have been offensive, that just shows how much more secular English-speaking society is today than it was back then. This taboo weakened even further in the 20th century, with words like hell and damn losing their offensiveness only in the past generation or so. And they're still offensive to older and more religious speakers. In the Victorian era, sex and bodily functions of elimination became strong taboos. The taboos were strengthened in the United States by the self-imposed restrictions in the movie industry in the 1930s and 1940s. The bodily function taboos have been weakening over the past few decades, though, and more recently so has the sex taboo. In the introduction to his book The F Word, lexicographer Jesse Scheidlauer devotes almost a dozen pages to tracing the weakening of the taboo against this word in virtually every medium. 
Even so, other sexual taboo words are still considered extremely offensive. In particular, the word commonly referred to as the C word is considered so offensive in English that when the movie Kick-Ass came out in May, it generated controversy not so much because of its title or even its abundance of violence, but for having 13-year-old actor Chloe Grace Moritz say that word. Taboos also vary from culture to culture. For example, in French and Spanish-speaking countries, where the Catholic Church has had a strong influence, religion-based swearing packs more of a punch than it does in English. In contrast, their equivalent of the C-word is only mildly offensive. These days, the truly potent taboos in American society concern traits that have been the basis of prejudice and discrimination—disability, race, ethnicity, and sexual orientation. Last August, White House Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel used retarded, along with the F-word, in a private meeting, but when his comments became public, there were calls for his resignation. Actor and director Mel Gibson's latest tirade, in which he used the N-word, coupled with his remarks about Jews in 2006, have some predicting the end of his career. And in 2007, Isaiah Washington lost his role on the TV show Grey's Anatomy, after calling a fellow cast member an offensive term for homosexual. With all this in mind, here's my quick and dirty guide for deciding whether to use obscenity or profanity in your writing. The first question for any kind of writing is, will my audience appreciate this kind of language? Actually, this goes for speaking, too. Relaxing taboos can be a sign of closeness and camaraderie, but if the atmosphere isn't right, it's just awkward. So if the answer is no, don't use vulgar language. If yes, continue to these next questions. Second, is swearing part of your voice or your character's voice if you're writing fiction? Check the episode on Understanding Voice and Tone in Writing for more on this. If swearing isn't part of your voice or your character's voice, don't use it. If yes, continue to the next question. Third, are you writing fiction or nonfiction? If you're writing fiction, use obscenity or profanity only if it will sound stranger for your character to avoid it than for your character to say it. I've had editors tell me that a common mistake new fiction writers make is to use too much swearing, and that it's very off-putting. If you're writing nonfiction, use a swear word only if the emotion you're conveying is strong enough to merit violating a taboo. Otherwise, you weaken its power for other situations. If you need to quote someone else's vulgar language, follow the style sheet for your employer or client, whether it calls for an expletive deleted, dashes, deleted vowels, or a creative circumlocution. Although readers will probably figure out what the word is, most understand that this is a compromise that allows everyone to respect societal norms. This podcast was written by Neil Whitman, who has a doctoral degree in linguistics and blogs at literalminded.wordpress.com. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, author of the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. That's all. Thanks for listening. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.